everybody. I am Patty G, the host of the Patty G Show, here for the latest rendition of the podcast and video series. We've got Adam Knapp from Brack tonight. We're going to learn more about that, how he got involved, his origin story per se. And so I'm really excited to get started. This show is brought to you by our lovely sponsors, Alvarez Construction. They came on a couple weeks ago. We are loving them. We are loving everything they do. And if you need a home or a place to raise a family, check out Alvarez. So without further ado, Adam, welcome to the Patty G Show. Thanks for having me. Thanks to Alvarez for sponsoring. Absolutely. I'm, I'm glad we've we've been talking back and forth, and I think I've finally coerced you into yeah. coming well, on the this show. Is great. It yeah. only took COVID. That's right. That's right. So, and somebody canceling. So I guess I had to sneak yes. in. Side note for those listening, someone <laughs> did cancel tonight. Um, well, they didn't cancel. All right. They didn't cancel. They didn't get back to me. All right. That's fine. So, I'll take them. Right. Hey, so people, just a word of advice, get back to the person. If you've committed initially, get back to them. If it's a no, just tell them no, please. Like I would have been happy. Like somebody saying, no, I can't make it. And like, here Great. I am calling you up like, Hey, when somebody cancels on you, please <laughs> but, slot us. But in. only no. then. That's right. <laughs> only I don't then. want to schedule it way in advance. Yeah. No, no, no. Two no. days max. That's right. I've got people now. Like, hey, we got to come on the show. May. Oh, oh, okay. That's, that's, that's way too far. But you're like, no. Come on when someone cancels. That's right. That's but right. I'm glad we made it happen. Your backup plan. That's yeah. right. Always plan B. <laughs> <laughs> You're the first plan B. That's right. <laughs> so Adam, what do you what do you, what do you do, man? What is what is BRAC as people pronounce the uh, acronym? Yeah, it's two different things. What I do is mostly raise a family, and in the meantime, also I work at the Baton Rouge Area Chamber. Uh, our organization is the Economic Development agency or nonprofit for this metro region. We work in the nine parishes to try to help grow the economy here. Okay. And how did you, how'd, how'd you get here? I mean, we know what happens yeah. to make a family, but how did you get <laughs> into the chamber? Totally different story. <laughs> I want to get into that one first. <laughs> okay. Uh, I worked in the governor's office under Mike Foster and Kathleen Blanco as the economic development advisor and had no business as a young whippersnapper getting that job and, and, and loved every minute of it. To, to so at what, at what age? Let's establish a, a timeline here. 28-ish? Uh, yeah. Okay. To, to work in the governor's office. Um, and so in 2002 to roughly 2005, right before Katrina, was primarily doing economic development policy for both of them, which entails writing legislation, working on projects, economic development projects, looking at Louisiana, um, a myriad of things. And got to love that. Katrina hit, uh, called the chief of staff in the governor's office at the time and said, nights and weekends, any, anything you need. I'd love to help whatever, whatever crisis you've got, right. throw me at it. And I'm, I'm uh, here, put me to work. And, and as you, as everybody did, right. How can I be yeah. a part of helping this crazy situation? And so got called in first to man phones as people were calling from all over the world to try to offer Louisiana help during the crisis of uh, that first few weeks. And that turned into a session. I can remember sitting in the kitchen and then dining room of the chief of staff on a Saturday to write an executive order that became the Louisiana Recovery Authority modeled on uh, what was the Lower Manhattan Development Corporation after 9-11 that was created to govern recovery of Lower Manhattan. The guy that ran that came down and spent that Saturday with us to try oh, to figure wow. out how to write that. And that was enacted and it became the structure of what became the planning of the recovery effort, kind of the leadership, of the recovery effort post Katrina. So I became the deputy director of that little organization and did that until the job at the chamber opened up. Uh, Bobby Jindal became governor. The guy who had the job uh, at the Baton Rouge area chamber moved up to work for the governor's office in the 
Louisiana Economic Development. And so I, I applied and, and was able to, to sneak in this job. And I'm sure they regret every minute of it ever since. Oh, uh, but I've been at this organization. I worked for, uh, before that, for a big consultant company called Accenture um, in California and in Chicago. And okay. migrated back to Louisiana uh, to work in the governor's office. So now you worked for them in the California Chicago. California, Chicago area. Oh, I was in Chicago first, okay. and then they moved me to California after, say, aren't, after a minute. Aren't, aren't, I'm not good at geography, but Those aren't are they two different geographies? Way different, so way different you sides. Check that with you. That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> All right, good. I got that right. Yeah, I'll yeah, take it. Yeah. But so, were you originally from one of those places or from Louisiana? I'm from Lake Charles okay. and uh, went to high school at Barb High School in Lake Charles, which is a fun story I'm sure we'll get to. And, we'll get there. Um, migrated to college in North Carolina and then ended up working in Chicago. Okay. So, you were at, uh, what are they called in North Carolina? The what? what I was not at Tar Heel. To? Yeah, so. at the Tar Heel. Okay, that's, that's the only school I knew of in North Carolina. <laughs> or a Blue Devil. I was neither gotcha. of those. I was uh, at Davidson College. The okay. uh, the Wildcats. The Wildcats. Mm-hmm. All right. So then you came back, and then you moved to Chicago. Yep. And then they positioned you out into California. Yep. Yeah. And so I worked uh, at first as a grunt writing about technology stories with mm-hmm. a internal corporate magazine uh, or newsletter as it was at the time. And just was writing analytic analysis pieces of what was going on in the technology news every week. Uh, it went out to 20, 30,000 people throughout the consulting oh, wow. firm all over the world. And it was just, you know, small snippets of t- weekly yeah. technology news. And uh, at the time, so this is 97, 98, there was this huge burst of activity in venture capital around the world, but, but centered around Silicon Valley. The group that I was with actually was a bunch of nerdy researchers, PhDs, great, this great team that worked internally to try to predict where technology was heading in three to five years. And they this wanted to have- back in the late 90s. This late 90s, so 97, 98. And, and in that period, huge amount of venture capital trying to commercialize technologies coming out of universities. This is the, the first real dot-com bubble as it was when it, it, it really sprung up and, and um, huge amount of capital just flowing into startups of all kinds of varieties. And so they moved me out there and ended up hiring somebody else out there with me. And we started a newsletter just focused on technology startups during that period. And we covered them mainly in Silicon Valley. And so the job was basically go and network with entrepreneurs building interesting companies in Silicon Valley. That just sounds terrible. It was hard. That sounds I, so... I suffered gosh. for five <laughs> long years in the wilderness. That's just brutal, um, man. Like, yeah, was, oh, the, uh, all the skills. Awesome. And, uh, and so, like, you, you know, you're a, a single person in California, in the San Francisco yeah. area. In Silicon Valley. There's events, launch, launch parties starting, every, night, every night. Yeah. Oh, right. my God. Oh, launch parties oh, yeah. every night. I bet that it was... was. <laughs> no, so uh, so it was a fun uh, a fun time, but it was also just interesting to try to figure out what was going to be driving change that these technologies were were showing off. And right. rather than talking about the company, you were trying to find the so what about the company, what makes what they're doing sort of an interesting yeah. transformation trend that people should pay attention to. So right. you were trying to get that into about three paragraphs, like every every story, every startup had a story. So you're exactly. trying to figure that out. You know, so like Amazon, you know, is it books, but yeah. is it really is it just really, what's books? really what is really from coming from yeah, Amazon? Yeah. So I got to like, actually, I got to meet the guys from Google early on at an event. And um, it's got the kind of things that were amazing that you would get to experience and talk to early on as they were wow. still figuring out what 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 that search, for, you know, what is model Google? was going to turn into. Yeah. 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 Uh, how it's do amazing. you what is we know it as today, as you know, if you 
to say the word, go look up something. We just say, Google it. <laughs> that's right. You know, that's, right. that's, that's brand power. <laughs> oh, look, I mean, at the time Yahoo had a massive billboard in downtown San Francisco. I think it's probably, I saw it the last time I was there a couple of years ago. I was like, I can't believe this is still up. Um, it was just sort of this iconic billboard, but at, at the time, like no one would have ever thought you could have invented a company to take on some of the kind of more ridiculously large at the time yeah. search, search businesses and, what, um, and, 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 so, and just drummed them out. And what were they at the time? Um, Yahoo, Alta Vista. I mean, a lot of them were AOL based, uh, sort of platforms that were kind of sort of fed through AOL. I mean, and then there was a myriad of smaller ones. Yeah. Um, some of the, some of them have lasted. I'm trying to, um, remember the one that's the, the, the query based, the, you, you write the question in natural language. I'm totally blank on it now, but anyway, that's like the Google's um, I'm feeling lucky. Yeah, you know? <laughs> exactly. I think this is it. Right. Go. Yeah. And go. Um, in fact, yeah, I'm feeling lucky, button was there from the beginning. It was awesome to be able to see like, that was one of their, their ways to show that they were badasses. Like you don't even need to see the list. Yeah. Yeah. Our first one's going to be the right one. That's, that's right. We're <laughs> that good at our that's job. Right. It was a, we it was we a know what you want. Gutsy thing. Anyway, so that was, that was the gig. And, uh, it was a blast. And I, I, I left California, not only cause I had like five roommates, it was an unaffordable place to live in, in uh, yeah. kind of the urban center of San Francisco, on your own. And so you, of course, split your housing costs with a million people. And, I feel like um, it hasn't changed. Like when no, you, it's gotten worse. Yeah. Even in like 2020 when you, or 2021 <laughs> we're in now, excuse me, you hear about, you know, Silicon Valley or you hear about New oh, York yeah. or a startup. It's like, all right, you've got a 800 square foot apartment with 20 roommates <laughs> right. this, and you're all paying 10 grand a month. <laughs> it's like, let's go get some Ikea bunk beds. We're going to make this work. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you shower once a week at least. Let's go. And, uh, uh, and so, maximum, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> So we, um, we, we all kind of saw the writing on the wall in mid 2001 that this was going to end soon. The, the stock market had already started to crash. And around that time, interestingly, um, friends in, in Louisiana had reached out and said, Hey, there's some interesting stuff going on in economic development. Said, what, what is that? Yeah. What is <laughs> I've been writing about startups. Right. What is economic development? Uh, and so these people haven't even seen right. revenue. <laughs> like, so it ended up in a conversation with some, some friends in the governor's office that we made, uh, or I came, flew in and got to know and, and uh, became lifelong friends now. But uh, they were working in many ways on some of the same stuff we were trying to do then. They're like, how do, you, how do you build innovation and how do you foster dynamic entrepreneurial ecosystems in a place? And so that's what got me excited. It turned out to be way, other, way, way different and a lot, a lot of other topics we got into, but it was fascinating to be able yeah. to come and do some of that or apply some of that experience to, to Louisiana. And plus, I had this really amazing feeling getting back to Louisiana that I didn't realize I'd been missing it as much as I had been until I was here yeah. and was so happy as soon as I got back. Can, like, can you just like, for the people in the back, can you just repeat that phrase? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, and I, I, I don't know if you have to live away for a minute to come back and appreciate what it is, but it is, I, I, I hate that I had to do that to, to realize how much I missed it and how much I love it. And, uh, but coming back, it, it was, it was like going from a, a shoe that's too tight to a shoe that's perfectly fits. Like it was just right. like, ah, this is great. Like it feels natural. Yeah. You yeah. know, out there it's, everybody is 20 roommates, you know, everybody's on top of each other trying to just bust it, it and it grind it. And, here it's, it, and, and I, w- I would not say a, a negative thing. Like I had yeah. a, blast and the, the folks that were my, my friends remain great friends today. Um, and, and yet it was just something about the culture and the feel and the, the way that people treat each other and, and act to each other just felt completely different and, and amazing. It's also 
shocking because as, as soon as I got back and was driving, I think the first time I was in a rainstorm, I had to pull over. I hadn't seen proper rain in, in five years or 10 years. And, and I, I couldn't see anything. I, was, I pulled over <laughs> and just, just sat still. I will die if I keep driving. I'm not ready for this rainstorm anymore. I'm go back to Chicago snowstorms. Try that. Yeah, again. I'll, I'll, I'll it do was, that it over was it. Daunting. Yeah. To see one of those gully washers just, just slamming into your windshield. Yeah. You got the windshield, the wipers on full and you're, you're driving by brake lights. Yeah. Like, I still can't see. I can't see the white lines. <laughs> I'm on? looking at the brake lights in front of me and that's what I'm driving by. Um, so that was, you know, culture yeah. shock. I mean, I'm sure. So you've, I mean, it sounds like you've been kind of going through this writing career, just right, yeah. whether it be writing news reports or writing, you know, this little 10 or three or four or five paragraphs yeah. about yeah. what's going on in the ecosystem in the area. It's always been revolved around taking a look at something that's happening, putting down thoughts, and then having people read those and then take note of it. That's right. And so that's kind of been the transition into what's happening here with, you know, when you went to the governor's office and then you wrote read legislation, you know? Yeah. So getting into the governor's office, what was awesome about that period was uh, you were given an enormous amount of latitude. Um, something I still to this day credit Mike Foster for is he had a great team, incredible people from a wide variety of backgrounds and he, he trusted them to do their job and, and to go be creative and, and bring great ideas forward and, and try to figure out how to get them put forward as policy. Um, and at that time, we wrote, there was a, a legislative session in early 2002 where we ended up writing the, the state was considering changing to changes to some of its tax incentives. There's one called Quality Jobs. That was the year when we enacted most of those changes. The Film Investor Tax Credit, which really is the film incentives that we think of in Louisiana that have attracted right. so many films that came out of that early 2002 legislative session and, uh, on which is still huge. I mean, I deal, I deal with those. Down, yeah, yeah, I mean, I yeah. deal with those in my regular day of the film and tax credits. We wrote one uh, that's still a, a part of the tax code for Louisiana called the Research and Development Tax Credit. Louisiana was not incentivizing private sector research to try to drive innovation in companies on the private side, and and a lot of states, almost all states, frankly, have some sort of incentive that mirrors this, the federal tax code around encouraging research and innovation and uh, Louisiana didn't have something. So we, we began that uh, through an, a legislative act that started and, and, and kind of unfolded over a few years that started that year. But what was great about that experience is was in about three or four months being on the job, you went from no, you know, you're this 28 year old punk that shouldn't have the job in the first place <laughs> and got to write legislation about four months later wow. or help to influence legislation over the next three or four months of watching a, a special session get, get created and, and, and put in place some things that were amazing and still are for Louisiana still to this day. So that was what really made me love the speed at which you can make change happen in economic development if you're focused and, and, and are creative. And uh, there's, yeah. there's an amazing number of folks who have been at this longer than me and, and some more recently that, that are just doing some amazing stuff all over the state still. Yeah, and it's, it's crazy to see that when you're living here, you can see the impacts over time. I mean, yeah. having put that yeah. legislation in place or having been a part of it, I'm sure you're able to look and go, oh, this is playing out as we'd hoped it would. Oh, yeah. And, or and sometimes they Adversely, <laughs> oh, right. this is not going the way we hoped it would. Yeah. yeah. But it, it's still exciting no. to be within the little big town that Baton Rouge is and being able to see an impact of a decision or an action you made. Yeah. Uh, no, and, and it, it still feels that way every day. It's part of the reason I love this work is the job is different. Every year, uh, I wouldn't say every day, but it's definitely different every year. As you, and you can <clears throat> kind of decide the direction you think uh, 
you want your role or your, your career to unfold in this work and in a way that you think is going to help people and help the economy at the same time. And that's yeah. what makes it fun and different. Absolutely. And that then brought you into the chamber. Yeah. You know, and so your initial role, you said you were unfit for it, but I'm sure you were highly qualified. Otherwise, I wouldn't have picked you. What was your initial kind of role to play within the chamber? So I came in as CEO in 2008, uh, started in April 2008. So if you think of the time horizon, the, Bobby Jindal became governor in what it was, January when he was inaugurated that year. Uh, the shift of staffing was happening. The search to fill the position took a few months. And so started in April, left, left the position I was in, started here in April. Uh, at the same time, little old Davidson College was making a run for the NCAA in basketball. So right in that short window between when I had a state job and came to work for the chamber, I was trying to watch Steph Curry take <laughs> Davidson College to the Sweet 16, which he ultimately got to the Sweet 16. They won it, and then they lost in the Elite Eight that year. That was a hell of a run. It was a blast to watch yeah. Steph Curry in college uh, do what he does, like, amazingly still today. Absolutely. Uh, but uh, so that was that period just to give everybody a timestamp for when we're talking about. Um, our, I've been CEO since that year. And every year we've tried to fulfill the mission of the organization in a, in a particular and special way that which is. So in that first period, when I came in in 2008, it was really still our first <clears throat> five years and the kind of organizational model we operate today. Uh, and we've continued to reinvent it every five years and are in the middle of that process, actually this year, all over again. Um, we were given a strategic plan that was laid out in 2006. So I came in in 2008, kind of continuing along the trend we'd been on. And each five years or so, we've tried to go back and decide if this is still the right game plan or if we should change it. And so each year, each, each period of time, we've gotten to do it a little bit differently. Um, I would say we've gone from the basics, that was the beginnings of what an economic development should be to make sure we had the, the foundational elements of the organization right. And like any good business, we try to make sure we built upon those foundations each year to make it stronger and stronger and, and always look into our national counterparts that do this work all over the country in other regions our size or larger. Um, at the same time, it's trying to keep in touch with what's real and challenging on the ground for Baton Rouge to make sure that we're, we're also focusing on the things that matter every, every year in different ways for this community. So for example, transportation was not in our wheelhouse as a major concern in economic development when I arrived at the organization and traffic congestion mounted and got considerably worse over the years <laughs> since I, I that I think it's just understood in yeah. Baton Rouge, you're not getting anywhere, anywhere, anytime soon. And, and so the, the challenge we face is there has to be some level of activation on the problem, right? You can't just right. sit and say it's going to suck forever. You got to at some point decide, well, we're going to put in place some actions that it's going to take us a long time, but damn it, we're going to fix this problem. Yeah. And so our organization, driven by the perspective of the business community around this issue as a business problem, has been focusing on how do you, how do you try to address this issue outside of the, the sphere of political horizons? Candidates will come and go. Elected officials will come and go. And still the problem needs to have a, a constant focus to try to move the needle each year along the way. And so what's interesting is back in 2016, to kind of bring us forward a little bit, we, 2015, 2016, we set up a, a regional transportation group of business leaders. And at the time, there was maybe about $100 million that you could say is on the, on the horizon to be invested in mega projects in the capital region. Today, we're at about $1.6 billion of dollars that are on the books to be spent on traffic congestion solutions between MoveBR, uh, the widening of the I-10 uh, 
span from the bridge to the split. So it's just, as long as everybody is kind of pulling in the same direction, you can see a lot of leadership, attention, and focus on a topic if you kind of bring it to the fore. And so what, what kind of a timeline do we see those amounts of funds being used? So Move BR is going to be 18 years. Uh, the, Brit, the widening of I-10 is going to be over the next five to six years, starting next year, so seven years. Um, so it, d- it just depends on each project. So one we started on in 2016, we did a research project to show that if you do a cost-benefit analysis of traffic congestion solutions in Baton Rouge, we ranked about 21 projects through an engineering firm that did the analysis for us and said, if for every dollar spent, how much traffic relief do you get from that project? And let's then rank order the projects based on their impact, just looking at congestion alone, which you would think, surely somebody's done this. Well, that was something that we had seen. There are a lot of other ways to frame projects than just traffic congestion alone. So we wanted to just look at that lens. The, one, the project that came out as the lowest cost and greatest benefit was actually the Ascension Parish widening that just completed and was the first project that got money put toward it. And it was about a 70 or $80 million project, if I remember correctly. And that one was started then, funded, designed, and completed. I think they completed it officially mid last year. Uh, okay. So if you can get a, get a time horizon to your question, <clears throat> right? You know, you can, some can move faster. A lot of them move a lot slower. Like yeah, the well, new bridge over the Mississippi River is a, you know, a white whale project for us. We're going to continue chasing. That's a, that's one of those off in the distance. We look at it. We hope to one day get there. Yeah, that's right. But we have no idea when we'll get there. (laughs) Or the, or the train between Baton Rouge and New Orleans is one that we've talked about since Katrina. I mean, it was one that that came up in the planning process after Katrina and it still has uh, the possibility of being implemented. I think it probably has some of its best chances this year of seeking recovery funding potentially and in, in some of the federal stimulus action that might come post COVID. So we're, we're keeping yeah. our eye on the ball. Well, cause I, I know going down, going towards new Orleans, they're redoing the whole railroad track right there. It is. So That's, is that part of the long-term vision or is that just the immediate need? That, that is resolving? the immediate need from that company to, okay. to make sure that that trestle is, is upgraded uh, on that route. They, the KCS line will ultimately need to have upgrades along that, that Bonacary spillway section. It's actually one of the bigger parts of what makes that project a little bit expensive. Um, but it's, it's actually one of the cheaper projects to put in place passenger rail between two metro areas um, relative to other places. In fact, the, there's a rail commission, uh, of multi, a multi-state rail commission that includes Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana. And they've always viewed the stretch between Baton Rouge and New Orleans as the beginning of how you build out the interconnect between, let's say, Houston and Atlanta that you start with interconnects that have the best feasibility. And so uh, this is one that I think everybody thinks is, is the best place to start and then keep going. Yeah. They're also trying to restart Amtrak service, <laughs> not related to this, but re, uh, between like Mobile and, and New Orleans, which ultimately may connect to, to Jacksonville, that you'd be able to have a, a passenger rail Amtrak service that direction they used to, and they don't have any more. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, pieces of that. And, and that, is, that is exciting for people to kind of hear about alternative means of transportation and get to some cities they'd be looking to travel with the adaptation of passenger vehicles outside of the trains. So your Ubers, your Lyfts, your rideshare programs, it's almost to the point where if we have something like that in place, we can go and visit a city and not have to drive. Oh, no, in fact- And you can do everything you want to do between, I mean, there's scooter share program, bike share programs. It allows you to get around and mobilize yourself without your own personal vehicle. After Katrina, there was a bus service between Baton Rouge and New Orleans called LA Swift, which was put in place to help for all of the dislocated commute folks that were having to commute between 
their homes and the, com- the community in Baton Rouge that they were dislocated to. And it was federally funded for that period. Well, that was what we thought would be the beginnings of a train route as you start with the LA Swift and then convert the LA Swift to passenger train service. Um, the amazing problem we had then, which Uber came along and solved, was the where, where, how are you going to get the people to where yeah. they need to get to when Uber doesn't exist? Um, Uber solves and Lyft solve a huge piece of the problem of, <laughs> of, of creating of a private transit service that you can get really accessibly almost anywhere, you know? So, yeah. I mean, it allows you to use public transportation to get the long haul of the journey taken care of to get to that next stop yeah. Yeah. and then use private transportation from there on out. And it still is a exciting option to have a train service instead, right? You need something that's a relatively low cost alternative to get you from Metro to Metro so that you can then pick up some other service to get you around on the, on the ground on the other side. Um, so it, it's really interesting. It could, it's could still come back around again to try to, to try to go after that again this year. Yeah. Cause I mean, I've, I've heard talks about it in recent years, but it kind of almost feels like it faded away before COVID and then COVID hit and like it really faded away. Yeah. Like it's right. on nobody's radar right that, now. That's right. Yeah. And except for those who have seen it for a long time as an incredibly good alternative for us to, to try to figure out. We also have seen these metro area economies between New Orleans, uh, Baton Rouge, and frankly, Lafayette have a lot in, in, in common, and even Homo there's a There's a lot of similarities of the things that drive our economies. A lot of differences, but still a lot of similarities. In Baton Rouge and, and New Orleans, we've actually seen the commuter data of people who work in one metro and, and, and live in the other continue to grow. And that really started or jump-started post-Katrina. It's only accelerated every year since, even though we don't see the tr- sort of the commuter options or the transit options being, being put in place to help foster that. So how much more would you actually foster those, those interconnects if you actually had some, some better transit alternatives that fo- help folks easily get between the two places and not just yeah. for Saints games? Right. <laughs> or, or yeah, for, <laughs> or for, for, for sporting events, you know, if it's just how do you get a large number of workers who work at the same facility from one location to another location with the most efficient way possible. Right. You know, if we're able to, because I know, I mean, plants utilize it on a smaller scale with a shorter route where they don't have enough parking. They'll buy a lay down yard and they'll have two, 300 workers park there and they'll put them in shuttles and they'll shuttle them into the plant. Right. And it's how do we take that and then put on a scale to take you from city to city to city in Louisiana. That's right. And and in in a convenient manner. You know, it's the the trains is key. Uh, yeah, absolutely. In fact, I think that if it happened, you'd see as much user ridership, let's say, from Gonzales into Baton Rouge to either go to the mall and or they go to the health district for work or come into downtown as you would that are crossing markets, right? Because you would expect to have probably six stops along the route, three here uh, in Metro Baton Rouge region and three in Metro New Orleans region either get to the airport or get to downtown New Orleans, you'd see a bunch of different alternatives. And I think that's where it's interesting is like, are they commuting in from, you know, the airport in New Orleans to downtown New Orleans or, you know, Gonzales into Baton Rouge. Interestingly, you've also seen that each of the stops has a quite a lot of excitement. So Gonzales really loves the idea of figuring out how to put in place oh, yeah. a transit stop and the development that might come around a transit stop, that that could be another interesting dynamic to the economy of Gonzales. So yeah. And then the second step is how do we convince people to use it? Yeah. Oh, I think that, you know? that piece is going to be the easiest. The popularity. When we, so we did a poll two years ago on do people want this to come about? It was like 85% in every parish. 
we did a, a statistically accurate sample in every parish along the corridor and everybody wanted to see a train come along. It was amazing. Wow. The response rate of support. Yeah. And that's seeing that people are open to that, that new level of transportation, that additional level of transportation is exciting to see that people aren't just stuck. Of, oh no, I'm not going to hop on the train. Yeah. I mean, I've right. used, I went to Seattle for a, a trip with LSU and it was the first time I'd ever used public transportation. Oh, wow. And it was a bit of a, it was, it was a learning curve. I mean, I'm coming from a college grad, never using public transportation to fully utilizing every aspect of public transportation they had because I was leaving the group to go and, you know, catch an earlier flight or something, but I wanted to stop and go and see some other sites and I had to learn real fast how to use public transportation. And once you learn it and once you get acquainted with it, it's real simple. It's actually, it's, it's easy. Great. <laughs> it's, it's great. It, it, it took, if I was to take an Uber, it would have taken me a little bit less in time, but the savings from oh, yeah. me personally, like oh, yeah. from, from what I had to pay to use the public transportation to what I would have had to pay to use an Uber was just so much lower that I was like, you know what? Me waiting for the, the bus to get to the spot or the train to get to the spot was, was worth it to me. Oh yeah. You know, because A, I wasn't on a major time crunch and B, I was open to using this transportation for the first time. And I had a, I was like, this is, this is kind of fun. Right. You know, you don't have to worry. It's like, it's like an Uber. You don't have to worry about anything. You get on, it takes you to your destination, you, you know, and you get off. Right. So it's exciting to see that Baton Rouge is heading towards that area of yeah. becoming welcoming of it yeah. and now, making it put in place. We have, we have a long way to go too for, for our general acceptance of, uh, of, of cats as a, as a system of choice too. Like we would choose to ride capillary transit to try to get from point A to point B. I actually did this uh, for those who know Jay Dakota, you can ask him about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right after cats uh, passed uh, an election a few years ago, it's not going on like eight, nine years ago to, to, to try to, sustain the system uh, for transit in Baton Rouge, they had set up a new route structure that was supposed to be a better, more coherent route structure than the, the old one. And so I was like, Jay, let's do a food crawl on the bus and just ride around and just eat our way through town on the bus. Like, you had me at hello. Let's go. Yeah, let's like, go. <laughs> absolutely. Um, and, and so like, it was a great way to try to both give some social media visibility to the ease of use. Uh, it was also obvious that no one does that, right? It was just on that day, we were the only ones trying to do anything that was just other than just getting to their job because they didn't have necessarily an alternative to the, to the use of the bus. Right. To getting it was to their a necessity job. and not an alternative. And so you recognize that there's, there's more, more folks who, ha- who could be using it who just have never given it a second thought. And a lot of that is just a mental lift to go in, as you did in Portland. Is it Portland? No, Seattle. Seattle. So like, yeah. let's try to figure out if I can use it. In, in Baton Rouge. See how to, how, to, how to try out the system, understand the app. It helps me figure out my routes and, yeah, and, help, and maximize my, my options. You know? Yeah, you got to plan a little bit more and you got to think ahead a little bit more. But if you're doing like a food crawl or right. you want to do a bar crawl or you want to do a, a restaurant crawl around Baton Rouge, it's feasible. It's just a matter of planning beforehand. Yeah, that's right. You know, and learning the way to do it. Now we might be wanting to get past COVID before we go and try that. Yeah, yeah. Make, make <laughs> Wear sure a mask if you're going to be on it. That's right. So <laughs> with within the, the chamber, you look at economic development. How do you begin to look at that? I mean, how do you begin to look at a city or a state and say, how can we improve the economics of our city? Yeah, it's a great question. So 
the first thing I would say is don't try to assume that everything has a connection to economic development. Try to understand a, a handful of issues that are, are the connections to it. And, and our, our way to try to break it down is there's the transactions of economic development itself. So if you're thinking about what's going to drive wealth creation in a place, there are some businesses that are actually helping to create economic activity within the economy. There are other businesses that are also bringing in new wealth into the economy that are additive by bringing, by selling something somewhere else. And that wealth comes to this community to continue to add to this sort of the scale of the wealth in this community, right? So our focus has inherently been on transactions that lead to more wealth flow into this community, this metro area uh, of, uh, of Baton Rouge. And then secondly is the things that are weaknesses or challenges or opportunities that are likely to improve the product that we are as a region, as a, as a community. So if, if Baton Rouge is both the business development side and the product development side, you have kind of the holistic thought about what does economic development look like? So to put that in, in, in kind of examples, so uh, ExxonMobil right now is in the middle of making a decision on whether they're going to invest roughly $500 million to modernize their refinery in Baton Rouge. That's a it's transaction. Just a small penny. Small penny. In <laughs> a, a, a period when, when the refinery has been one of the, the, the problem children of the, of, of the industry, right? Like how do you continue to make money in a time when people aren't driving during a, a pandemic? Uh, and so that has been an interesting opportunity to try to get them to modernize that facility, to incentivize them to modernize that facility at a time when we've seen Shell shut down a refinery in Convent, yeah. right? That could happen here. It could. It, we, we desperately don't want that to happen. And so they have to continue to modernize their facility to protect what's here for years to come. Um, so that is a transaction of economic development. So think about the work of business development as, as that aspect of our work, uh, whether it's that or trying to encourage a company to expand that's already here. I know you had barbecue guys on recently. This is a great example of a, of a homegrown success story. Major uh, success that story. That has an opportunity yeah. to be a, you know, a billion dollars in sales if they continue to play their cards right. And, and I, I, I would bet on them to get there. Uh, that that's we're trying to su su support companies like that to be successful. The product development side, if you think about what that looks like, is trying to think about what is what are the challenges or opportunities for Baton Rouge to accelerate the growth of its economy. Whether that's building a better entrepreneurial ecosystem, trying to help foster economic inclusion, so those companies that have the hardest challenges of building in our community have greater access to opportunity to build their companies. Uh, or working on education and workforce access. Uh, we think about how do you make sure that the, the public education system's options for kids continue to be improved if there's a policy landscape to do that, or if workforce programs could be improved to make sure that more kids gain access to the careers and choices that are out there today than what are they otherwise going to be presented to them. And so we're always trying to think through ways that we can try to tackle some of those more complicated issues. One that's caught, in, caught attention in the last few weeks, interestingly, uh, was one we've cared about a lot over the last few years and been excited to see some progress on is about the issues of community appearance in Baton Rouge. This is one that's, you know, it's almost so mundane. I hate to even talk about it because who wants to talk about litter and, and blight and weeds yeah. that are growing in the street? Like if you get sick of the appearance <clears throat> of just people throwing stuff everywhere in the, on the curb and, and wondering why, why it couldn't be better than this, just like all the other examples we've talked about, it can be better than this. Absolutely. Um, it, it takes a concerted approach to try to get there. Uh, we actually did a, a fair amount of, of work to try to understand this problem a few years ago. And we're, we were thrilled, uh, Mayor Broom, uh, after she was uh, 
inaugurated for her second term uh, within the last few weeks, uh, said that she wanted to focus even more aggressively on litter in her second term and, and gathered some of us, some of the folks from the governor's office and said, how could we do things differently? Here's some thoughts we have. What thoughts do you guys have that we could do differently? And so we were, we hosted a webinar with her a couple of weeks ago and she laid out the plan of what they're working on. And we have a committee of BRAC of business, business leaders who care about this issue called our quality of place committee. And so they've been really tackling, well, what can we do to accelerate the attention on, on litter and weeds and blight? Got a new Metro council, a lot of the mayor's new energy around it. And so we hope to see some ways that we can drive that issue forward over the course of this year that we'll actually tangibly see a cleaner community in the next few years. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. You can't, you you don't want, you don't want to live in a place that looks bad. Yeah. Right. It it, it creates the wrong impression the minute you get off the plane or drive across the Paris line. And And how do we attract, you know, visitors and tourism in the community when people that come here or people that live here just say we don't really appreciate our community and therefore we trash it. Right. You know, how do we look past that lens and look in the lens of truly caring about the community, truly caring about the ecosystem that we have here and saying, hey, let's make it better and let's make it approachable. Yeah. Let's make it when people get off the plane or they get off the future train, um, they say, hey, this place is beautiful. This place is amazing. I want to explore more. Yeah. Because if you see something good and it looks good, you're going to want to go deeper into that goodness. Right. If you, right. Some, you see something bad, you're going to retreat. That's right. You're not going to go yeah. further into it. And so how do we get people to see that first, you know, that the first face and say, oh, this looks good. Let me go one step in. And how do we keep making each layer better and better and better to then drive that economic development of people coming back right. or people staying? You know, how do we retain the college graduates? I was at LSU. It was a common topic of can't wait to leave. Yeah, Can't wait to yeah. go to the next big city, the Dallas, the Austin, the Houston, the Seattle, the New York, the Chicago. How do we get those students in front of what is happening and say, hey, there's really good opportunity here if you stick around. Well, like I'm you said in the beginning of the episode, it's, you know, it just fits. You've been to what people are in the entrepreneurial world are eyeing and going crazy over the Silicon Valley. They're going crazy about, we got to get there. We got to get there. That's where the business will go and explode. And you've been there. But then when you came back, you know, as we said in the beginning, it was, it fits right. And so how do we get those students to see it? Yeah. So I think it's a fascinating question. It actually is one of the other priorities of our year this year. We started last September working on a project to try to tackle the question of, Retaining college graduates after graduation. How do you actually that's a serious wrap question. your head around it? So, it's one of the driving forces of what started this show. Yeah. Well, there you go. I'm glad you did. All this, a lot of the kids in the entrepreneurial degree program said, I can't wait to leave. Yeah. And I said, why? And they were always like, oh, the opportunity is elsewhere. And I said, I'm going to prove you wrong. Yeah. I'm going to prove so, to you it's here. So think about this. If you're a company with five, 10, 25 employees, you're like, 80% of companies in Baton Rouge. You're roughly the same size. And when you added two to three jobs, those jobs are likely not going to be seen by the students that are five miles from here. Because they really have rarely ever had visibility to the smallest employers creating jobs. So the project we launched a couple of months ago was a recognition that there's, this is a mismatch problem. At least part of it is a data problem. 
And the structure of how a student has historically learned about jobs has been uh, either by accident, by word of mouth, by a friend or a social network that they've made, or through career services that maybe had a fair that got you into a door where you kind of walked through and met someone at a table. That is interesting how that is an old model for how you would have thought about how to do that. But it's also been that the smallest employers where the vast majority of smaller or jobs are being created in the community, many of which are some of the most fascinating companies to go work for. Absolutely. You'd never find out about them if you're a student five miles away from that employer. Uh, and the main reason is there's never been an easy, free connection between those students and the, and the jobs. So this app got started in Silicon Valley a, a few years ago. I think they're in their fourth year. It's called Handshake. A lot of people have probably now yeah, used it's, it or it's tried it out. It's migrated into LSU, and that's the so we were hiring students from LSU. And that's more the tool we more than just migrated, in LSU quite intentionally signed a software contract with Handshake to get them to sign up. That everybody with a .edu address had a profile they could activate for free. And so you have, and actually Southern and LSU decided to use the same platform at the same time, which was stroke of genius. Now you have 40,000 students with essentially the same platform looking for jobs on the same platform. The problem was we, what we kind of uncovered over the last year was nobody really told the small businesses in Baton Rouge this was there for them. And so we said, well, why don't we just make sure they know about it? So uh, we got in touch with Handshake, got in touch with the universities, uh, and have been looking at how we can just simply promote the fact that it is free. If you're watching, you should sign up for this today. <laughs> Those uh, small businesses <laughs> in Baton Rouge and surrounding areas. Create a profile for your small business and start trying to put your jobs on it immediately. So the more, there are more companies that are on it and they're actively hiring through it, the more chance that students are going to see more jobs in this metro area, whereas Handshake otherwise is primarily going to show you jobs not in Baton Rouge because there's plenty of employers on it. Oh, yeah. All over the U.S. Uh, and so we want to make sure that there's more available visible here if you're just simply looking for that here. Especially, we think getting onto it as an employer is just the first step. What we ultimately have to have is a wave of paid on int internships that are posted because while you're here, and you need money, you'd rather work for that maybe than to work for Uncle Earl's, nothing against Uncle Earl's jobs, but you might want to work in an advertising firm or a, you know, might want to work in an engineering uh, firm to, to go and do an internship in your field. And so if you could make a connection somewhere as an internship, there's a better chance that you're going to stay and try that after college than if you never worked in your applied field, yeah. right? So if, that's if you the look at this. the advertising firms in Austin or somewhere outside of Baton Rouge, you might not even give it a shot for those that are here in, right. Baton, in Baton Rouge, you know, here in the local area, you know? And so it's, we could, we could go and dive into economic development and all of how to retain college students for hours and right. hours, but we're getting to the end of the show. And so I like to look back at people's path and people's career that kind of got them here and really extract some information from that in yeah. the form of lessons learned. So what are a few lessons that you've kind of gathered through your vastly wide career thus far that you wish, you know, people would have known or that you would have known at a younger age? Um, I, I think I didn't plan the path, right? No one, I think, really. I don't think you does, ever planned the path. Right? Even if some look planned, there are accidents along the way. Um, I don't think anyone ever graduated high school and thought <laughs> they were going to go into economic development. Maybe there are people. I don't know them yet. Yeah. Um, so I would say like recognizing that being open to 
something that's way out of field and, and trying out an opportunity has been an important step for me. A lot of times is stepping out of a, a comfort zone into a role that I don't know that I was ready for when I stepped into it and, and just forced, you know, both the situation and the opportunity and just through sheer kind of will to try to get to know that, that role and that function. Um, I would also say that it's, it's the unexpected opportunity that is sometimes the more interesting one rather than trying to take the safe one and try to take the one that pushes you and stretches you is, is oftentimes the one that's going to make you more likely to, to grow and develop. And, uh, and I, I really feel strongly to encourage folks that about that, what that's been in my path anyway. Yeah. And it's, you, you could have asked me in the later part of high school, I might've been open to the idea of maybe one day hosting or, you know, running a podcast, but it would not have been my first thought. You know, it would have been, oh yeah, sure. I like talking to people, you know, yeah. competing in speech and debate as, you know, Cody, a flashbang did we did together, but it's that element of you kind of go where the, you did speech and debate too. Yeah. Oh, I knew there was another connection. I could feel <laughs> it. But it's, it's yeah. that, it's that. I'm trying to remember it. I can't, I, if I could do a monologue from high school, I, I, I did a, a duet acting competition program. That was probably the first time I ever tried to get in front of him. Really? Well, in that, in that way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so we, uh, so, so Cody and I, there was a speech category that we competed in called a uh, duo interpretation. And I think I got a, I got a, I got known around the league for the first role that I played in duo interp was my sister and I did Gone with the Wind. <laughs> now, there's plenty of characters in that, in that film, and we had to condense the movie down to 10 minutes. And it was a fully memorized piece that we had to act out and portray, not looking at each other in the eye and not touching each other. And um, I played a pregnant lady. I was going to ask if you were a woman. <laughs> I played several women and I played a pregnant. So that got around the league very quickly of going see me play. I think it was Melanie or was it Scarlett? It was one of, it was awesome. one of them. I think, I think I was Melanie and got, my sister was Scarlett, but it's that, you know, that openness to trying new things right. that kind of bridged the gap to get where I am here today is I was okay with being able to play something that was so farly different than who I am that then translated into the entrepreneurial spirit within me of I'm an accountant. Yeah. You know, accountants, CPAs, awesome. we're, we're not known to sit and talk with a bunch of people. We're, we're, we sit, we look at numbers and we go and we go, all right, yeah, let's do this. Let's do that. We don't host podcasts. I mean, I think that's the most astounding part about this is you're an accountant hosting a podcast, which is the best thing ever. Like, <laughs> what? Just just wait till May. I bring on another accountant who hosts a podcast. That's great. But it's great. It, it's true. You when you put yourself into a box and you put your restrictions on your blinders on while in the short term, it's going to be great. You can get a lot done in the long term. You're going to limit yourself to what you can truly accomplish, you know? While you look your head down and you're grinding and you're working, that's great. But had I been like, oh, I'm an accountant. We don't talk to people. Like when you drop your stuff off for me to work on, I don't want to chat. I don't want to chat. Like you drop it. Hey, great. Thanks. Bye. Right. And that's it. But it's this willingness and this openness to look at something else beyond the lens of what we've been told is what people, college students, people in their later advanced years 
having that open mentality, that open mindset really can also drive economic growth. Well, they can it, solve problems creatively. hundred percent. It does. And what's interesting about that connecting the thread back to Silicon Valley is if you asked folks, then what makes Silicon Valley special, it is the culture of risk taking being celebrated. Absolutely. And the willingness to, as an accountant to set up a, a podcast and put yourself out there or, as whatever someone is, that's the first time they say, well, I think I'm going to take this money and risk my own money to try this other thing, not just because it might make me a few bucks, because I think it'll be fun to try this. You're an attorney it's, it's that an likes to bake. It's an amazing step. You know? you know, you're an attorney that likes to bake cookies. Right. Like it's, it doesn't matter what the option is. If you feel passionately about it, I mean, that, a, a, a question, you know, asking people lessons that they, that they wish they'd learned was just find your passion has been a repeating theme between the show is regardless of what it is, if you're passionate about it, do it. Just take the risk. Take the risk. Take the risk. And you can, you can bridge that risk. <laughs> you can minimize that risk by doing it, you know, as a hobby first and right. then working out to where it becomes a full blown business. But it's again, goes to that open mind of something else can be done differently than what is being done. Right. And just taking that and running with it. And, and if you look across especially during COVID have felt this. Like when you look across the the community, some of your favorite things, you you know, you look, I want to make sure that doesn't end because COVID killed it. There are these individuals who created something really fun and unique in our community that we find and hold precious. And uh, whether it's a restaurant or a, you know, homemade soap or whatever the heck it is, you know, I love that they're trying and doing it, you know, and support it. It's forced creativity, right? Yeah. Yeah, It's forced because rather a home working, or B, you got laid off, or, or C, you're bored out of your mind. <laughs> That's right. Because you had all this free time and you would spend it elsewhere that you can't now. And right. it's what do you do to fill your time? Right. You got to get creative. And, there's, and I think we're, we're about to see just this, this wave of the, the creativity that's come out of this forced isolation. <laughs> it's gonna, we're going to be shocked. And, and, and <laughs> I, am, I am welcoming it. I'm yeah, looking forward to seeing what people have creatively concocted during COVID. I'm just excited for it. So we've, we've got a couple of more questions to get to before right, we end yeah. the show. One of them being on the lighter side of things. Um, what would you do today that you did as a kid had no one stopped you? Um, hmm. That's a great question. Thank you. I don't know that I was stopped by anybody. It might've been laziness that stopped me. Something stopped you. <laughs> um, I used to water ski like almost every okay. day. What, slalom or water ski? Slalom. I learned to barefoot at one point. Um, and it's a, it's a great sport. There's a great place in Zachary. I only went out and tried the, their water ski Bennett facility. Bennett Ski School? Yeah, I bought my once. wakeboard from there. And I, I, it's, it's, I, I, no one stopped me except myself. But I, if, if I was talking to my 18-year-old self, I've been or my teen yourself was talking to me, I would keep telling myself to go water ski. Yeah. That and maybe drum. I've, I probably missed my you're drummer. You're a drummer? I was a drummer. I'm a terrible oh. drummer now. Once we, didn't even, the, we didn't even get into that. Oh, like we have a whole whole other segment. <laughs> whole, stay around for, for episode two. Um, okay. The so hair I, band with no hair. <laughs> was what I was perfecting. For, for, for those listening to the podcast, I recommend you just, just go to YouTube, go to the Patty G Show channel and just watch the video and you'll get the reference. No, it's, you know, 
It's a shiny head, guys. That's it. It's not well much to polished. see. <laughs> As before we were setting up the cameramen, we're like, we've got a glare yeah. coming from that side yeah. of the table. It's weird how it's not on the hairy side of the That's, table. It's weird. I don't, know, I don't know what to tell you, man. I don't know what to it's tell you. Um, absorbing all the light. So we've got, we've got two more questions for you. One of them is one that I know we could talk on. We've literally talked for the whole show, but what do you love about Baton Rouge? Um, I love discovering stuff. Um, I actually love the history. Uh, If folks haven't tried to explore the fascinating history of how Baton Rouge came to be where it is and it's, it's ugly and dark side and interesting side. It's just, there's, there's fascinating pieces of it. Um, and that's kind of what goes along with just the, the fun of discovery. Um, but kind of like we were talking about a minute ago, I think the, the stuff I love the most is locally made, homegrown entrepreneur stories and inventions or products. And I still find that to be kind of the most, most interesting parts of Baton Rouge is when you find those really unique and interesting things to try to hold on to. I also like the near area experiences, like if you absorb what country roads writes about like these really fun, like half day away excursions you can go and explore is a really fascinating state and community around us. It's absolutely a blast to go and take weekend trips to go check out. Absolutely. No, I've got a, uh, I've got a, a personal mission to once I get through the exam and get through tax season to really try to put on a large event with the Audubon golf trail. <laughs> But cover every course. Yeah, yeah. Cover yeah. every course of the whole Audubon Golf Trail across the Louis, you know, across Louisiana. Yeah, I think it's what nineteen courses or something like that. Oh yeah. But it's just it gets you around the state. It, to try it, to go it to gets you around the state, and it boosts the local. Because some of these golf courses are in some really small towns. Yeah. But, that but we would probably place. book out every hotel that was there if we had a crew of a hundred people go play golf. You know, and so that's. That's something I want to do is to start, you know, branching out and trying to do what I can to bring people yeah. here to Baton, to Louisiana and Baton Rouge and just saying, hey, guys, we got a lot of stuff. We went, uh, I took my kids last holi- Christmas holiday, not, the, not this year, but last year, to the Audubon course that's up near Poverty Point, the ancient mounds, the burial grounds, native burial grounds yeah, that uh, are in North Louisiana. Yeah. It's and, not an Indian Mound golf no, course. Oh, it might be. I can't remember the name. It's up in North. Black Bear. It's Black Bear. Yeah. That's the one. So the course is a lovely little lodge and course. I didn't actually play. It was too cold and had the kids. But Bring them with you. It was, yeah. Just throw them in the car. Let them drive. Yeah, let them next exactly. seven. They'll be fine. Yeah. Uh, but the, the, the Poverty Point walk is amazing. It's an incredible story of a civilization, you know, five, 10,000 years of history Right here in Louisiana, that's just a, a fascinating story to unfold. As old as the pyramids in Egypt, it's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's go explore it. It's it's incredible what hidden gems are within Louisiana. Yeah, that not everybody's aware of. Yeah, it's worth it. Absolutely. So, for the the final question of the show, yeah. what can I do to help you? Um, I'm a big believer in positivity. Uh, I think oftentimes our state. And our community kicks itself in the teeth undeservedly. Um, sometimes damn well deserved to be kicked in the teeth. Right. Um, but a, a fair amount of that is just because we just are always ready to be angry at the football coach that failed us last season. And we just want to be angry at everybody. It's only the coach. Um, but no, I think that, that I think if, if, if you could do one thing, it's to help spread sort of the, the gospel of, of great things that are out there um, and, and, and to engender that positivity. It's also just, 
it, it just, it also makes folks feel better about the next step in their career too. I think you do a lot of that already on the show, but I think it's been, been great today, but I think it's something that we need way more of as a community. Uh, it's just a, to spread a sort of a sense of, of, of positivity and opportunity. Yeah, no, I, I, that is one thing I strive for within the show is to show the greatness of the city, talk about how we get through the bad, but also to shine light on the positivity and the greatness that is here. So I will continue to do that. Don't I, stop. I, I've, I'll, I saw I, you trying to quit. I didn't try to quit. No. I never try to quit. I'll keep me here until they kick me out, right? That's great. That's great. <laughs> or we drink them out. That's right. <laughs> the price is right. That's right. Well, <laughs> thank you so much, Adam, for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it. I'm glad. I'm glad we made this happen. You know, circumstances unforeseen. I'm still glad we made this episode No, it's awesome. Happen. Thank you for the invitation. It's an honor to be here. Yeah. Well, good. I'm, uh, I'm honored to have you here, and I'm honored to have everybody here, whether you're listening or watching to the episode. We've had a great time with Adam Knapp from the Baton Rouge Area Chamber. I just want to say sorry to the Facebook crowd that watched this side of my head. <laughs> should have turned more. You should have, you should have like, well, beforehand we were doing the mic check, should have turned around and gotten it and then gone, right. gone back just to get that, that face shot. That's right. I definitely look better head on. <laughs> Side on. So those on the Facebook page, <laughs> go check out the YouTube video. Actually, I don't look better. I look terrible either way, so I apologize. <laughs> oh, man. All right, we got to end this now <laughs> before we get carried away. So thank you all so very much. It has been a pleasure and an honor to have you all tuning in and listening to this latest segment of the Patty G Show. Our incredible sponsors are bringing this to you, and they are Alvarez Construction. They build way more than a home. They build a place to fulfill your dreams here in the community, to raise a family, and to just build the community all the more the better. So thank you all very much. I am Patty G, host of The Patty G Show, here with Adam Knapp from Baton Rouge Area Chamber. Y'all have a good one. See you.